Hi guys, this is the Hacker Noon podcast. Uh, today we have a special guest with us. His name is Juan Bennett. He is the founder of IPFS, Protocol Labs, and guys in the cryptocurrency space. They know him as the founder of as the founder of this big company called Filecoin, which I guess everybody knows. They raised two hundred million plus dollars in fifteen or twenty minutes. This was one of the biggest success stories, and that I guess, in my opinion at least, led to a whole flurry of ICOs coming one after the other, trying to cash in on what like Juan Bennett has been doing. We also have with us Wasa, who is a hacker-known contributor. He is one of our top writers in terms of what is Web 3.0, and like he has been leading the hacker-known uh, narrative at least in terms of what. the power of decentralization could be so without wasting any more time i would let the guest of honor juan bennett to take the lead in terms of introducing what he has been doing and i guess like once he starts going like it would be hard to stop him so like let's start with that hey uh thanks for having me it's a it's a pleasure to be here uh chatting with with you guys and and the entire hacker noon audience so um pretty uh i read out a number of posts from hacker noon so it's it's great to uh to be here uh and yeah in in terms of what we've been what we've been up to so um uh protocol labs uh builds a whole bunch of different uh systems and protocols uh things like ipfs uh filecoin liquidity and others um each of these these protocols and and projects is is advancing in its own um has its own kind of growth growth trajectory lately we've been very focused on on two things one is the um kind of the growth of ipfs and the major improvements uh that are that are coming uh down and so things like um uh the whole a whole range of new applications uh, are now using i uh, think uh, ipfs either uh just to kind of store at, uh, static assets or embedded or are shipping with ipfs embedded uh within itself uh and so the, just uh being able to kind of scale the network and work with uh, all of those adopters uh is one of our our big areas of focus and then the other is uh building out falcon and getting to the falcon mainnet and and shipping um this has been probably one of the most uh kind of uh, awaited uh things in the cryptocurrency space and we're pretty excited to to be you know super close to to mainnet uh launch and we've been um running multiple test nets amassing a whole bunch of capacity with with a lot of miners uh, around the world um and we're getting pretty pretty stoked about uh uh releasing releasing the network and so that that uh should go live um uh, kind of like our, our current target uh is around end of July early August uh that's sort of where where we're um uh, targeting of course software really like there, there could be this is like best estimate uh could be could be a little bit later but uh yeah we're we're super stoked about the um the both the capacity in the network uh we're going to have way more storage than we know what to w- do with it's going to be an amazing time for for application developers because they're going to be able to put um all all of the stuff that they've been doing with IPFS uh in terms of like building applications that that uh, address a whole bunch of data on on web3 and then move all of that uh to fully be stored not on Amazon S3 but but now on 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 a proper crypto web3 native um decentralized storage network so that's been, that's going to be pretty exciting uh and then we're also pretty uh excited about the implications of making a uh a decentralized storage market like the moment that you create a a marketplace where um anybody can add capacity and and because of kind of where they are and how close they are to users and so on gives them a competitive advantage for 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 being the the storage provider for for a set of users like that has never really been been um you know like before before blockchains like that wasn't really uh possible no one nobody has ever done this uh and so we're we're pretty excited to see the what happens when you when you can have a proper you know market structure um come into kind of cloud cloud storage right so today hard drives are commoditized but cloud storage is not commoditized and and uh i want we're super excited to see what's going to happen when when you know the ability the ability to kind of do um engage into kind of storage contracts and so on with with people around the world uh becomes an extremely extremely easy uh easy thing to do. So yeah, uh there's a lot coming this year, uh, a lot of uh, exciting developments across the stack from um all of the ap- new applications and on on IPFS uh pushing web3 forward, uh Falcon and and also lower layer protocols like um uh, like Liquid P. So that's one uh one of the has become one of the foundational things in in the web3 space where you know a lot of different um a lot of different now blockchains are using liquid p for uh for the networking layer so this was um a a project that uh 
was refactored out of IPFS. Uh, so we tend to do this thing where, where whenever we uh, one of our systems gets kind of big, we we break it apart into into subsystems and, and subprojects and so on. And we did it with LibPP and very successfully. And now it's become uh, kind of like the main base uh, networking layer for the entire blockchain space, and that's been been pretty amazing. Uh, groups like Polkadot, which just shipped, uh, 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 adopted it. Uh, Ethereum two uh, adopted LibPP. There's a whole host of other other users like Keep and Xerox and and a whole bunch of others. So that's um, also maintaining those those systems and improving them is uh, uh, what we've been up to. So a lot, uh, but yeah, it's an exciting year. It's nice to hear all of these things. Like it's nice to hear, and it's a refreshing change change in terms of like what we keep hearing in the cryptocurrency and blockchain space. And now we would move over to Wasa, whose real name is Weber, and like he has been one of the key proponents of Web 3.0. IPFS, LibP2B, at Hackernoon. He has over 60 stories published over here, and he has contributed to IPFS, OrbitDB, Ethereum, Quorum, and many more. And I would like now let him speak a bit about like what he has been doing and like what he thinks about Web 3.0 from a developer's perspective. We have a perspective of the founder, the guy who like made it, and now let's like hear like what the developers have said. Over to you, Wasam. So hi everyone, uh, my name is Babo, also named as Basa in, on the internet and I'm a IT uh, undergrad working in Web3 space since 2017 and I've been running startups since 2018. So I've been contributing in uh, many projects like IPFS, Ethereum, MobDB, Quorum, etc. And I've been uh, contributing to Hackadoon since like 2018. and through that time, I have seen Hackernoon grow from Hackernoon 1 to Hackernoon 2.0 and that has been like really good transition from moving from medium and uh, currently I am been working on a project called Dapkit. So Dapkit is basically Firebase for Web3. So the problem with Web3 development here is uh, today is that like we don't have any structured way to approach this Web3 development because like there are a lot of tools here and there and different stacks that are emerging out. But if I actually come as a new developer from Web2 and try to build a web application on like using Web3 stack, it would take me around like a month or two to actually build a, uh, an application that is something that can I, I can show to the users. So we have been trying to solve this problem that uh, how to make uh, developers to build an application uh, in like within a day or something like that. So we have been working on this since no November last year, but I have to shut it down like uh, for a few months due to my college work and I resumed it in April. And since then we have been growing pretty fast with around 200 GitHub stars in less than two months. And Apart from that, I have been writing a book with Springer Nature uh, on data analytics and mining. Uh, that's it. That's me. Nice to hear that. Nice to hear that, Vavo. And like, best of luck to both of you guys. So like, now we would get started with the code of the podcast. And I would like to start with addressing the elephant in the room. Like there are people who believe in blockchain, bitcoins, and cryptocurrencies, and then there are people who do not. And on the side of people who do not, they have this very strong argument that it is not scalable, there is no mass adoption. And the way I see it is that they forget how long it took for the internet to take root. It was built by DARPA in the 60s or like maybe in the early 50s, like who knows the exact date. Like, and it took them, it had to cross that dot-com boom and that dot-com bust where everybody thought that the internet was like done for but so they were very i guess lenient towards the internet and they should have been more lenient towards uh let's call it our side of things so i wanted to like know from you yuan it's like how do you answer these questions to people in terms of like where is the mass adoption how do you like answer them because you are like building things 24 7 like practical.
Yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, I, I think like nothing could be more wrong about this space in, in terms of uh, 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 the, the, the future, right? So I think about this in two ways. Uh, one way is uh, you actually, if you look closely, there is a lot of massive adoption. You just have to, it's not on the surface because it's not as, um, it's not as fast as other things, right? So I think everybody's gotten used to things like social networks that grew uh, super fast. Um, and you know, things like Facebook went from you know zero users when it got started in around 2004 or something to then billions within like I think something like five or six years, maybe maybe a little bit more. Um, and so that kind of growth is super fast, and so people have grown to expect that kind of uh, super fast growth. Especially you know things like Instagram and others also grew up super fast. Uh, WhatsApp and, and whatnot. But I think that kind of growth is specific to social networks or uh, social media where you have this extremely high viral coefficient. If you don't have systems like that, the growth rate of most of the of application technologies and so on are is a lot slower. Um, and when you when you think about it with that lens, cryptocurrency and, and Web3 is growing super fast. Like it, it's it's around um, it's very similar to other other kinds of things. Like think about the cloud, right? So people think about the cloud as, as really kind of appearing 2007, 2008 and so on. Like that's when things started like really blowing up. Maybe it was in um, 10 or 11. I, think, I don't remember exactly when Heroku came out, but like uh, people think of that as a cloud era. But in reality, the cloud started in 2000. Um, uh, right in the middle of the of the height of the of the boom, uh, it was a company called LoudCloud. Uh, you know, Ben Horowitz started this, and um, they, uh, that was a uh, uh, you know Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen and a whole bunch of other other folks. Um, but the the uh, that era of uh, of computing kicked off the entire you know cloud development that then later we saw five to seven years later. Um, and and even even at that time, uh, the word cloud had already been around for five five or six years. So uh, computational platforms take a while to to develop some something on the order of 10, 15 years. And right we are in that trajectory. The Web three and cryptocurrency space is like on track. And just look, I think looking at the numbers helps. Um, nowadays we we're at a point where you know the Web three world has on the order of 50 to 150 million users. Um, I think that's roughly like the the size. It might be a bit bigger, but that's uh, a an estimate based on things like the the number of users on Coinbase and and other kinds of uh, systems. So so Coinbase has 30 million users alone. Think about every other exchange, every other um, wallet, every every application. Um, and this is without touching kind of the some of the now nascent um, Web3 native applications which are starting to pick up steam. So the the important thing is to look at the growth rate. How fast are these uh, are these systems uh, growing, and what what is that adoption rate? Um, and I, I think you know within it's not as fast as social networks yet. Um, I think once we have uh, native social networks in the space, we'll see kind of this you know meteoric super viral rise. Um, but other than that, like all kinds of applications are getting adopted, and and that growth is pretty steady. So both by by uh, by looking at the raw numbers, uh, it's in a really good spot. And by by looking at um kind of like the trajectory of application platforms in in general, um, they take about this long. Uh, and to your point, uh, you know the internet, yeah, got started as a research project, um, took a very long time to kind of get developed. Uh, the web, uh, e even the web felt super fast, and the web numbers were you know in the low millions. Like when when everybody was writing about the web and like this crazy new thing and so on, that was in the in the low millions of users. So the entire web three and cryptocurrency space is massively you know, is much larger than that. Um, it's just that nowadays we're so used to the internet being an everyday thing that if things don't, you know, grow as fast as social networks, then then it, they don't feel uh, like they're growing. But in reality, they are. Uh, uh huh. That's an that's an interesting argument that like people tend to like compare everything to social media like networks growth, and if it is not going viral, then they get skeptical. This is nice. In terms of yeah, in, in our case, like we we see like a, the growth of IPFS, for example, is like at least 10x every year. And so, you know, if, if this if we can sustain that growth, um, you know, in a few years, we'll be we'll, we'll have billions of users um, or like billions of devices. Uh, Definitely, this is nice. And when we speak about IPFS, this like we have to like think of it is how the mainstream media sees it. Like if I talk about like the closest example that I have is one of my favorite examples. It's from this show called Silicon Valley, where they tried to build the decentralized internet. Like, although I loved the show, 
But the portrayal over there, like they were on the cryptocurrency side of things. There was a 51% attack mentioned. I wanted to know what's your take on things. Like, did they overdo it? Because those guys are brilliant. Like, they got Silicon Valley spot on. Like, they know. Yeah, what's- yeah. I thought this was great. So, so um, uh, we we really liked uh, seeing seeing that entire thread of thread of stories. And and you know, uh, we were we were chatting with um uh with the the writers uh, and so on as they were kind of writing the shows uh they they reached out to us and a few other organizations to kind of like ask about question, uh things and how it worked and so on um and it was fantastic like talk, chatting with them like super super brilliant uh group they they totally understand silicon valley they totally understand uh the blockchain networks they totally understand the movement what what i really really liked about that entire um uh plot line though is that it brought a ton of attention to the real problems right and so with the show gave enormous amount of lift to the the problems, to the ideas, to to what's actually going on, and so now it's way easier for for the entire Web three and crypto space to talk about what we're doing because now there's a very common reference point where a ton of people have watched um, those those shows and understand what what the problem is about. And so, you know, it, it really went from like uh, I remember this sort of happening because uh, um, uh, we we sort of felt this inflection point between you know it being hard to explain what we were. We were doing and and it kind of being like well people would kind of liken it to BitTorrent or liken it to to Git or you know things like that um, and then as soon as the as the as the uh, the the um, plot in Silicon Valley started uh, everybody picked up and like oh wow like like you know the um, like the Silicon Valley show and like all all of these organizations and so on and and that became much much faster in terms of people understanding what what these systems uh, ended up doing. And so I think it, it's net positive. I think it, it was really, really good that uh, that they did that, um, really good to draw attention to the problems. Um, and, and they got a lot of stuff uh, uh, super right. That is right. And like, here's this like small thing. So I was speaking to like Andrew Levy, who like used to be the head of like advocacy at Steemit and now is with High building his own blockchain now. Yeah. So like he said that his parents called him up and because they'd been wa- because they'd been like watching Silicon Valley, they were like, "We finally understand what you do." <laughs> so it's nice. <laughs> so now uh, we'd like to like get into some like uh, tougher questions in terms of like IPFS and like the question of censorship. So there are like two aspects to it. Like we need to regulate certain things, and we need to have a freer press as well. So like. Who draws the line within the IPFS universe, at least? I know that it is decentralized and like you guys can speak more about it. But I would like to know from you guys, it's like, where would you draw the line? Like, who polices what is right and what is wrong? Because clearly some things are wrong and some things are wrong in a particular context. Maybe some things are wrong according to certain laws. So who manages all of that? Like, is there a governance layer or like, how do you like guys plan to take care of certain questions so that, uh, let's say kids are not exposed to certain things. You know, this is a key question for, for all of the internet. And this is not just for, for things like IPFS, but for all, all of the web and all of all internet protocols. Uh, the way we think about it is this, um, we think that human rights need to be able to be, um, digital as well. And so things that um, you, the, the internet, so if you think about computing and you think about the rise of computing and how quickly we've gone from, you know, things where like there were huge mainframe rooms and now uh, we are carrying around in our pockets, right? So it took about 80 years to go from the ideas of computers to now everybody's walking around with like a supercomputer in, the, in, their, in their pocket um, that they can uh, do all kinds of amazing things with, right? You can call everybody, you can... Um, you can stream to the whole world. You can you can send messages to any person uh, on the planet. You can be part of a public conversation. You can you know tweet at uh, presidents of nations and and ask them um, you know hold them accountable for things and so on. The, like the, the level of connectivity that we have today is uh, truly fantastic compared to what we what we had before. And and those kinds of superpowers come with um, a really important. Um, dependence on on making sure that the technology res- uh, respects the rights of people that um, uh, that are engaging with it. And so the the hard part is that uh, even even as a civilization, we don't agree on what what the right things or wrong things to do are. Right? Like this this is important uh, to have. Um, it's important to have like a, a different points of view. It's important to try different experiments and to, to let different groups 
make different choices about what's going on, right? So what's right for one group might be wrong for another group. And, and the important thing there is agency. Those groups need to be able to have the agency to decide what uh, happens in their networks, right? So um, if, uh, if one group of people thinks that um, uh, distributing a certain kind of content is bad, they should be able to, to collectively as a group decide not to distribute that content. Um, but that decision should be, shouldn't be made for them by a different group you know, 3,000 miles away from them that has nothing to do with them. And so it's, it's very, very important that the computing technology that we, that we all depend on does not kind of turn against us, that, that, that uh, the decisions about what is, what is good or, or bad aren't made by people that are, that are not us, right? So, so this has to be a, a, a system that puts user choice at the center and, and that really shifts the power dynamic um, to make sure that uh, uh, humans interacting with the computers um, uh, choose the, choose the, the um, how, how things should work. And we've embedded that kind of thinking across across the stack. So we think that there shouldn't be kind of central policies that, you know, kind of like a botnet that command and controls all of the nodes to do something, but rather that that uh, um, the nodes should default to have uh, things like block lists where, hey, if you if you are in a particular uh, country and you need to follow a particular set of laws, you should follow a block list associated with with a particular set of laws, and um, and and not distribute or or download content associated with that that uh, that kind of uh, in a particular way. But that's different from a different place, right? So, for example, um, uh, there's there's some things that everybody or a lot of people in the world agree is really bad, but there are other things where that's not so clear cut. So, um, think of the right to be forgotten. So this is like a, a a very controversial thing where in some countries, um, a number of, of governments have decided that, uh, and, and kind of, you know, by, by popular uh, opinion and so on, have decided that being able to, to uh, remove your public presence from the internet is an important right. And, you know, this is uh, very controversial because in other places, people point out like, hey, that's wiping away history, that's allowing people to get away with, with bad things and, and then kind of uh, change, change the historical record, so to speak. So, so there's good disagreement about this, and we have countries choosing different different uh, positions. And what you need to have is an internet infrastructure that allows different people to decide what uh, what they want to do and what they want what rules they want to follow. And so you, you should have same defaults, but you should also give people the ability to opt opt into or out of uh, these kinds of rule sets, and for them to control their their computing. Right. So. Um, we like in the in the open source movement and free software and so on. We think that technology should serve the, their users, not not that a technology should control their users. And so that's an, a very important dynamic where, if you were to build a an internet platform that uh, uh, just embedded control uh, and gave that control to some other uh, parties, then imagine how easy it could be for people to take control of that system and then cause all kinds of bad things to happen. So and you know we happen to live in a very fortunate time in history where you know the the our biggest problem right now is like this global pandemic and some potential tensions but you know we don't live in a period of, of major global war or we don't live in a period where um you know uh hundreds of millions or billions of people are being kind of uh persecuted by by um but in the middle of a war or genocide or something like that now imagine if a government took control uh of the internet infrastructure and suddenly all of all of your phones that you know were giving your location at every you know all the time and and to to the central central uh, powers could then could then choose and decide who to go after and so on right so think about like all of the, the what was very um, striking about the Snowden leaks uh, was that the the ability and, and this was not a, really that much of a surprise for computer scientists because we all understood that this was possible we all understood how how much information these devices leaked and how much information these devices uh, uh, trace and so on. Um, but the, the, what was useful about that entire moment was getting everyone in the world to realize that this kind of mass collection is going on all the time by a lot of different governments. And that is not just like your government who that knows what you're up to, it's every government. And, and at that point, letting kind of like this kind of war scenario between different governments take place controlling your device and, and spying on your communications and so on is, is something that like, uh, you know, I really think that, um, that, the, that the technology and the computing platforms that, you, that we use should build strong shields against that and should protect users from, from that, kind of, that kind of attack. And so, you know, to, to your point, it's like, it's really about user agency, being able to decide what feature you want to be part of and, and being able to choose what, what rule sets you follow. Um, Got it. 
for it. And I would like tend to agree with that. Like uh, that technology, like should be an enabler. It is like what we say in the uh, medical side of things. Like we say that you have a scalpel, and it's totally up to you, like whether you choose to like, like let's say slice someone or maybe perform a, a, a surgery with it. So yeah, it makes sense. Now we'd like to move over to like what you have been doing like personally in terms of like we'd like to know more about what's going on with Filecoins. Like you guys have this mainnet launch coming up in July, and uh, what are the expectations over there? And more and like more importantly, it's like what is your uh, benchmark of success for a lot of these other organizations? Just raising the money was their benchmark of success. Now they are like nowhere to be heard of. So like, I would like want to know from you is like, what do you think is going to be that particular KPI that you say, okay, once I get this, I'm going to say that IPFS, Filecoin, they have become successful. And what is it that is like going on over there? Yeah, uh, so in, we're getting ready for, for launching the mainnet, which includes uh, finishing up the implementation of the of the Filecoin nodes, um, getting the building all the tooling that that miners need in order to provide a good service, um, building uh, there's a whole set of kind of layer two solutions that need to exist around uh, making retrieval fast and um, allowing kind of application data to be to be uh, uh, structured in a way to to embed into and store into Filecoin, um, and so we're we're pretty busy with most of that development and this is not just um this is not just uh protocol labs but it's uh, now it's a whole host of different organizations now we have a pretty large ecosystem with um a couple two, two or three dozen different groups that are coming together to build all of these all of these tools and and, and technologies so groups like textile and chainsafe and suramitsu and fleek and a whole bunch of others that are that are coming together to um uh, build all of the different pieces uh, of tools that are required to build build out this this uh this ecosystem, and and so that's the the main focus. It's just getting get getting all of the 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 tooling for miners and developers and users ready. Uh, once we are there, um, there's a whole bunch of you know testing and validation that we have to do. You know, launching a, a blockchain is kind of like launching a rocket, right? And so you have to get a lot of things right. It's an extremely complicated machine that um, where you know some vulnerability here can can be uh, pretty pretty problematic. And you know, you know, things don't blow up like in, in rockets. Like you know, in, with a rocket, something goes wrong, it blows up. Uh, with a blockchain, it's not quite like that, but uh, but it it can cause you know this this um, failure mode where you have to like uh, restart things or 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 uh, the network is down briefly or something like that. And so getting uh, getting all of the testing and validation up front uh, to to make as robust and dependable a system as we can um, is is really important. One of the other things here is like the scale that we're going to have is much bigger than most most blockchains have at the beginning. So so we have to get ready for a lot more. Meaning, um, you know, compared to other blockchains when they started, we we expect to see a ton of activity mining right away. Um, and we have uh, a mining community that's that's super amazing that is putting together you know tens to hundreds of petabytes of storage um, and getting it ready to to go in the network. Um, and so that kind of scale is is just unprecedented in any in a, any blockchain system. And so we'll we'll see what happens there. Like we we are um, have a much higher higher bar to to clear. And so we want to do as much as we can to to test out um, things as, as we get into that. And so that that's the the main uh, the main development. Now in terms of what are, are the metrics of success. So at the end of the day, Falcon is about storing user data, right? So it's it's uh, users and applications come in to the Falcon network and. Um, store their data in the network and hire miners to to back up their their content and serve it later. So so um, one important metric there is is you know that the the number of deals and like the number of of, um, <clears throat> of of the amount of data that's being being paid for by somebody to to be stored. Uh, another important metric uh, that is common to to all storage services is things like uptime and things of you know um, the speed of retrieval. Um, the the uh, making sure there are enough copies of, of data around so there's no data loss you know things like that um, there's a whole host of of kind of network health monitors uh, that that are important but but again like the to your question about KPIs it's it's really about you know how much useful data and how much value is being created by the Falcon network coming together um, to kind of provide the service the storage service for for end users and and you know we we sort of expect a, a 
a ramp up period, right? So, so all of these kinds of networks have to first get going, and 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 so we we don't uh, we expect sort of the 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 first few months to be really testing out and exercising the, what's possible in the network. Meaning, um, a, a lot of the users that we're focused on 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 getting early is is groups that have um, you know either large data sets or or um, or, or or want to kind of push the limits of this kind of kind of network uh, to test it out, and and we see the first say six to twelve months of the network's history as building up the capacity, getting getting doing all of the hard optimization work of tuning like the the parameters to make sure that the network is working really really well, collecting a ton of metrics, uh, finding problems, debugging those problems, uh, making it a really really good network, um, and then we see kind of the the period after that as as then turning around and saying okay great we've amassed this great capacity for uh, for storage now let's go and 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 um, uh, and try to store uh, all kinds of incredibly incredibly important applications so we sort of see the the first six to twelve months being a, a really really good period for new developers that want to want to understand these systems and want to get started and want to want to um, figure out what's possible in the platform make some early early prototypes and early versions and start iterating with with their users and groups that have you know huge amounts of data and they want to see either like a really large cost reduction or they want to get better properties about their their um, uh, their data they want verifiability and all that kind of stuff and so for them to kind of try out the network and to and for them to kind of exercise exercise it that, that'll that'll be good uh, and so that's kind of on the client side and now on the miner side that's where where um, this is a really exciting year like just be joining the uh, joining the network and providing storage capacity uh, setting up your racks learning learning how to mine Filecoin optimizing your own setup, your own your own systems, uh, and so on. That that's uh, again kind of like the this first six to twelve months is going to be a really great time for for those groups to get started. Um, and really all around the world, right? Because um, you know, a, a thing that's very different about Falcon mining versus say Bitcoin or Ethereum mining is that because Falcon mining is providing useful storage, it kind of really important matters where the storage is. So um, a client coming to the network is going to choose to store data in say a few different regions where their users are, um, and they are also want to store the data close to them, and they might want to have copies in different continents just in case something bad happens. And so you know you might you might store store a copy of something in 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 uh, in in Asia, you might store a copy of something in America, you might store store a copy of something in Europe. And so that means that even though the at the very beginning of the network the mining power might be in some area, it'll get diffused out over time. To match the demand of the users, so the user the user demand is going to drive the existence of of, of miners in a bunch of different locations. And so we, we see that as like a, an extremely exciting opportunity for for people that want to get um, kind of want to earn Falcon by providing uh, storage to just get set up somewhere. And just because maybe there's a lot of power in another country doesn't mean that you can't be one of the top miners in in your area. Got it. Got it. And like. I would now move to the final question of mine before we move over to the web side of things. It's like I think of the world being divided into two sorts of people. One of them are cloud positive people who are like pretty much okay with their data on the cloud. And then there is this other side of like people who are cloud negative. It includes my wife, the person who like do this. So she does not like use any cloud solutions like she does not use Google Drive. She does not use Dropbox, neither OneDrive, because she believes that her privacy is at stake. She doesn't believe it. With IPFS, I guess, because all of that data is diffused, she might believe it. She might not believe it. And because she's young, so like maybe she will believe it. But what about people from a generation before us? Like, how do you answer their privacy questions? in terms of like how does ipfs and the decentralized web take care of these privacy issues yeah great question so the most important part here is to make sure that we move the world to not just having you know kind of end-to-end -end encryption in the wires but to have user-controlled encryption where a user gets to decide um w what kind of um uh, or, 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 you know, you need encryption that puts the user in control, right? And, and so um, the user needs to have the keys. They need to decide who to share things with. And a service or application should not have the ability to, to look at your data, right? So a lot of the cloud solutions that we have today, so things like you, that you mentioned, um, things like Dropbox and so on, 
store your data in the clear in the cloud. Um, and so that means that they can look at what's going on. Um, and so that means that uh, the because they can see see what you have and so on, like that that kind of um, uh, it, it's really difficult to trust those kinds of systems. And and you know I I, I would agree with her that uh, right now there, there's just a, a um, tremendous terrible um, privacy violations across the world happening because of this. Like you have this massive collection of information and and so on. And and uh, and it's not just privacy; it's security, right? So you. Right now, we again, like we were saying before, right now we live in a period of peace, uh, relatively in the world. Uh, what happens if suddenly governments, b bad groups, or um, take take control of governments, and suddenly a country that was actually really enlightened and governing things really well suddenly goes bad for a while, and and during that period they take all of this, you know, all of the keys to this this, this super powerful um, uh, uh, spy machine everywhere. And they start kind of targeting groups based on what they've written in their own notes or their their private diaries or whatever. Like that's that's crazy. But but that's a possible future that we might that we might um, that we might live if we're not careful. And so I think we, in in this period of time we have some um, some ability to to shift computing platforms to a, to a system that puts the user first. So user first encryption. Think about it that way, where where the the user uh, is in control uh, of the keys and and they get to. Uh, put everything. Um, they, they get to decide who who gets to see uh, their content and so on. And this isn't just for your personal files, but this should be for all your applications, right? So this includes, you know, documents that you share with other people. Like, you know, think of like a Google Doc type of thing where you collaborate on something, or it could be um, like family photos or or um, companies uh, documents or you know, all of that stuff should be kind of by default only visible and and viewable by the people that are. That own those pieces of information, not by the application developers. And so shifting this is going to take a lot of hard work from a lot of groups. We're we're helping to push that forward, building a lot of the kind of underlying technologies that you need. But there's a lot more that needs to be done uh, done on top of that. Like today, you can get started with this. Uh, you can try out, um, say, uh, Textile is a is a, uh, a group that's been developing a lot of different um, uh, sets of tools on top of uh, on top of IPFS and. One of the things they have is, is um, uh, you know, textile threats and textile buckets, and and they're working on all of the access control issues there to to make it so that you can write an application that uh, stores data on IPFS, and um, but puts the control and, and the user encryption on the hands of uh, of the users and not not kind of on the application developer, and and that's a very important shift uh, once we have um, once we have all of that, that kind of stuff working and a lot of uh, applications can start using that 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 mode, uh, then we might see a, a cloud world where putting your information and your data on the cloud does not also mean giving every like all the application developer, the storage provider, and all of these groups access to view all your content. So, so you know, it's really important to say that like diffusing the, the information is not enough. Not only do you have to uh, not only do you have to like not collect in one place, but you have to encrypt it in a way where only the user uh, has control of the key. Got it. Got it. Quite insightful. I let you know like what my wife has to say about that. And with that, I'd like to move the baton over to Webov and like take over the technical side of things. Yeah, so like just uh, pointing out uh, what discussion that we were having is that one insight that I have is that uh, about maybe 20 or 30 years ago, uh, at that time when we didn't have that much uh, in, a penetration of internet on the world, like, usually the privacy breach was considered that like I get a detective and uh, like throw it at you. Uh, at that time like if you're sitting in a room then like you will be pretty much safe but in, like today maybe uh, when even we are like uh, surrounded by uh, we are not surrounded by anything but still we are we are leaking a lot of data so like in terms of user perspective, like uh, this is a main problem that we actually can't see that we have been robbed of the data. But like 20 or 30 years back, it was much easier to, easier to see that someone is, is like spying on you. Yeah. So uh, like we have been talking a lot of uh, stuff about Filecoin. Let's move on to IPFS. So cool. Uh, uh, a few months ago, I think uh, IPFS launched a uh, 0.5 release and i wanted to like uh, in terms of uh, comparing 0 0.4 and 0 0.5 what 
um, what are the announcements and like what features that does it provide that enhances the user experience or the developer experience yeah so um the yes we had our, our uh 0.5 release uh you know earlier uh in this is like the late april so it's been yeah it's been about a, a month almost um and the the main thing there was performance so we focused really hard on on a lot of the user feedback um that, that was coming in uh, through a bunch of different channels. So this is um, application developers, this is yeah, individual users, um, infrastructure providers, and so on. Like all the different, you know, there's a bunch of different communities uh, that use IPFS in a bunch of different ways. And they were giving, they you know, constantly give a lot of feedback through GitHub and and um, and surveys and so on. And and the kind of the number one thing that people were were asking for um, was a, a whole set of important performance improvements around say. Uh, content discovery and content uh, distribution, and so we we focused uh, on that. And in part of that ask came from the network scaling a lot. So we saw about like 30x growth in the network size during 2019, and so that whole growth meant that a whole bunch of solutions that worked before at smaller scales started started breaking at at larger scales. And so um, we needed to, as a whole community, come together to make a bunch of improvements and optimizations in a bunch of spots. Uh, and so things like we, we you know improved. Um, kind of things like adding content, uh, uh, finding content, fetching the content, and so on. And then we focus uh, very hard on kind of the the speed of of discovering content and serving it out to um, to end users, right? So we run one of the HTTP to IPFS gateways, and so we get to see a lot of the traffic um, that that kind of goes through that through that gateway. Uh, we get to see like the metrics um, associated with that traffic, where where um, we can see how long it takes for some some of that content to be found or or served and so on. And so we wanted to get down the the um what was taking kind of like tens of seconds down, and we got the, the average down to around six to seven seconds in for some content. Um, and now uh, kind of uh, a lot of content is kind of well connected now down to like two or one second. Uh, and so like that's getting a lot closer to to the delivery kind of experience that you expect out of a Web 2.0 sort of world where where it's not quite a CDN speed. So CDN speed is is not there yet. Uh, but it's getting close to say um, things like S3 speed, where like really the target is around 300 milliseconds to one second. Like that's that's where we want to get to. Um, and and so this this whole 0.5 release was about uh, speeding up that that whole range of range of things. And so yeah, it's been we're super happy with the results. Like there's there's a you know orders of magnitude improvement in 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 a, in a bunch of areas uh, and several factor improvements in in, in others. Um, speeded up file transfers, adding um, uh, and and so on. It also comes with a ton of features. So things like um, uh, support for for uh, uh, TLS. We we finally brought brought TLS to to IPFS and, and upgraded the connections there. We also um, added improved Quick, um, and and now that's going to become soon. That's going to become the default. Um, we had a whole bunch of uh, important UX improvements. So things like um, subdomain gateways, so that you can isolate the origin in 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 with a web browser. Um, uh, things like um, peer, like uh, the ability to kind of like maintain better, manage the connections better, and manage uh, peer sets better, and so on. Like there's a whole bunch of things there that uh, that people had been asking for a while that we that, that we got in. So yeah, it's been it's been that that uh that period from 0.4 to 0.5 was uh, quite a while, and so we we put in a, a um, that that accumulated a lot of different changes, and so yeah, it's been a been really good results so far, and and you know a whole bunch of folks that uh that that uh, upgraded to 0.5 um uh, just saw the you know immediate improvement and 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 benefit in, in all their applications. Cool. So uh, getting into the specifics, uh, in terms of speed of DHT and IPNS, uh, what sort of fraction that we are looking for in our order to actually see a significant improvement in the speed? So like. Is there like 50-50 or like what's the fraction that we are looking for? So like uh, just to be clear, uh, in terms of if uh, a lot of, yeah, cool, like go ahead. Yeah, yeah so, so I think, um, you know, right now, so IPFS got to start using a DHT for content discovery. Um, and so this is, this was like a, like an okay solution to start, um, but DHTs aren't very good at larger scales. So. Um, kind of the intention from the beginning was to swap out the DHT with a different content discovery or content routing mechanism. Um, 
Yeah. And we're kind of like in the latter stages of, of, of getting the most out of a DHT, right? So DHT, because of its structure, you end up doing log n hops through the routing table to find mm. to find uh, yeah. a, a node, uh, to find a content, right? And so, so that means that if each one of your steps includes kind of round trip times to, to other nodes in the network, um, and those nodes are, are potentially far away from you, you, you might see somewhere between 10 to 100 milliseconds of latency in each one of those hops. If the network is millions of nodes large, then you're going to have okay. you know, 10, 10 to, to 20, 10 to 13 um, different different hops, and and each of those are going to be stacked up sequentially. Mm-hmm. So so the speed that you can get um, out of DHTs is going to like push it into seconds uh, for content discovery. Content routing to a different to a different mechanism, something closer to what to what um, cloud systems use, which is um, they have indexing services that that uh, kind of uh, collect a lot of the kind of pointers of, okay. of who has what content and whatnot and where to find it. Um, and so make sure that when a user is trying to find a content, find a content, they, they get like sub-second delivery. And so that that shifting the world from using a DHT to using those those other mechanisms uh, will take some time and it'll take some work. It's not really clear what we should use yet because there's a whole bunch of important resilience properties that come from using a DHT. Um, that you don't get in other in other in other systems. So this is uh, an interesting period where um, we we have a bunch of proposals in mind and a bunch of different potential systems. Uh, a lot of other things kind of get suggested. Um, we'll see how this develops and and how the community uh, wants to to move this forward. But we know that you know unless unless we make drastically better DHTs where you can get kind of you know high churn in the tens of millions of of nodes coming in coming and going. Mm. And kind of like close to all of one delivery, like sub-second delivery, which is basically no DHT really does this uh, ever. Um, unless we can we can do that, then then we know that a DHT is not the right solution. Sure. Cool. So speaking of 2019, uh, in 2019, the main focus that like in terms of user cases, IPFS focused on package managers. And what is the specific use case that IPFS is Focusing on in 2020. Yeah, um, yeah, great question. So in test 19, we we oriented around package managers because we thought that um that uh that kind of, that presented a really good use case of having kind of like large binary assets and um kind of a distri- distribution model that lent itself well uh, to IPFS. So we we did a lot of kind of um performance improvements for those use cases. We set up a lot of relationships with different package managers. We bunch of um uh, user studies. And kind of uh, kind of segmentation of the different kind of use cases that different package managers need, right? So because yeah. there's a lot of different package managers, there's things like um, like software library and code package managers. There's binary package managers for for um, uh, for things like Linux distributions. There's um, applic- app stores, which are a version of package managers. They're just kind of moving binaries within kind of a walled garden. Um, there's like game distribution systems, which are also different kind of package managers. Um, there's, there's all kinds of like uh, uh, all kinds of stuff, and so we we did a whole bunch of studying around all of these different groups and kind of what they needed and so on, and we kind of prioritized a few really key important performance improvements for those groups. Um, this sort of coincided with like large growth in the network and and a whole, a whole bunch of other things, and so the the we got somewhat far into that goal, but we haven't completed it by any means, and and we we saw that the the same set of um, improvements that package managers needed. Uh, were also kind of the things that container container distribution things needed as well. So um, a lot of the work that we did for package managers and that we're doing now for for it, um, and it is kind of benefiting a lot of the container container distribution uh, things as well. So we're likely we're likely gonna so so kind of the results achieved there include um, a bunch of important performance improvements for those groups, um, and then some important pilots and and attempts at at, um, at testing it out for for this kind of flow. Uh, but there's, I think, a, a few set of features missing there to, to really enable a whole bunch of uh, package managers to really adopt. I, I think what it, what it really requires is um, uh, the work that's actually going on right now with Nix, which is um, it requires a group that's dedicated, that, that understands the distribution model of IPFS and understands the package manager really well, and, and, yeah. and them to developing the tooling that they need to kind of shift things forward. Um, it, it's, it's, um, and so I think once we are able to close the, the, those gaps, then... Then, uh, um, which which is kind of community driven. There's there's so much that you can do to to 
to push, you, you also have to get a pull from, from the other side. And so we're, we're super, super stoked to work with um, groups mm -hmm. that want that kind of distribution uh, and, and are, want to work with us to, to uh, make it happen. So again, like the, the um, set of folks who are working on, on the Nix package manager to do this uh, it is, is exactly the right kind of um, uh, way to do it. And so for 2020, um, after kind of collecting a lot of the feedback uh, through 2019, we then decided to focus on performance. So that's that's why the the kind of focus for this for this year has been, um, you know, entirely around yeah. um, improving performance in a bunch of different capacities, um, improving the the kind of release flow. Um, we we ended up creating a whole new project to test this, which is uh, I think called Test Ground, where um, we we ran into like hard problems in terms of testing out the network and we yeah. needed to be able to test the network in with thousands of nodes across regions and trying to get like realistic network conditions and so on. And so we, we built a, we built a project to test out peer to peer networks. Um, and, and we, we call it test ground and, and it's available for anybody to use to, to test out their own systems. Um, and we use test ground to drive a lot of the, a lot of the performance improvements uh, that we're seeing now. So, so we, we needed to do a whole bunch of that work to, to get to the point where we can now start testing out all of the, the 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 how the features and optimizations and so on that we're doing uh, how that is playing out for the for the use cases. Cool. So you mentioned about the containers and like backend managers. So Protocol Labs has been working with Netflix since, since I think 2019 after the IPFS camp, and I think uh, like can you explain us about what specific improvements that and Netflix has seen with this collaboration. Uh, yeah, totally. So, so um, yeah, after after IPFS Camp, we we started a, a really great collaboration um, to to really figure out how IPFS can improve the the developer tooling experience for um, for a bunch of the the kinds of things that uh, that the that groups like Netflix do. And so, um, this was really awesome work from from folks over there um, who. Uh, and there's a blog post. It's a great blog post uh, that kind of details this this whole story, yeah. uh, and you can you can read from Edgar there, who who drove a lot of the uh, of this work, um, uh, where, which is about uh, looking at the distribution model of a peer to peer network and using that in the cloud. I'm uh, sorry, in the in in a in a data center to accelerate the the distribution of container images. Um, and this can also apply to package managers and to VM images and and everything like that. Uh, and there's been kind of uh, systems like that in the past. Um, and so the work there was was really to see you know how much um, how much can can IPFS on this kind of tooling benefit um, that particular use case and and we've seen that like that's that's a, a super uh, super useful like we, uh, we you can see the benchmarks in the in the in the blog post um, so IPFS uh, outperformed the the uh, yeah. Docker Hub by by a long shot and and kind of the Titus registry which is Netflix's solution yeah. um, uh, which is way you know much faster than Docker Hub. Um, was also kind of um, outperformed by by the the peer-to-peer -peer solution that that, that Edgar and, and other folks built, and so that's that's um, also the, the good thing is that um, that work also drove improvements in IPFS itself, and we improved BitSwap and we improved the con the content delivery there. So it's a really amazing win-win for 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 everybody, for all of the IPFS community, for Netflix, for other groups, um, to to look at this kind of developer tooling use case uh, and test it out. So. I think it'll be a while before all of this stuff kind of enters production use by by Netflix and other groups. So this is this is still kind of uh, uh, trying things out, optimizing flows, seeing how good it is, and so on. And so we'll see um, over the next year how that translates into um, in, into production use uh, with any group. Um, we're not sure uh, about about um, uh, how that's going to play out, but but it looks like super super promising and and, and optimistic. Especially this is like an uh, an amazing area to to. For, for you know the audience and, and hackers out there, um, if you're interested in developer tooling and you, you're interested in making the distribution flows much better and much faster, if you've ever been annoyed by like trying to install a package and having it wait for a while, or or ever been annoyed by the fact that like you're trying to download packages that you know are either in your computer already or in a computer next to you, and you're like, why am I connecting to the to the internet somewhere really far away and downloading something really big when <laughs> when the data is already like yeah. either in my computer or in the next room and um, and so with IPFS, you can make the distribution much, much better, much faster. It's just that uh, in order to, there's a whole bunch of like important feature sets that, that need to get get uh, built out for, for that to happen. Um, and so if people uh, want to do hacks around this, uh, uh, I think that's a, that's a great area to start. Yeah, so like 
just extending what you have mentioned uh, like let's suppose we put uh, the ipfs nodes on the mobiles like that's sort of resource intensive and kind of loses your battery uh, you tend to lose your battery really fast but uh, let's suppose we have like we have netflix using ipfs in their apps so like what do you think uh, can be the challenges and uh, what are the things that uh, will improve well, so, significantly so, um, with so this, doesn't uh, have to, doesn't have to waste your, your battery at all. Like um, uh, what's going on there with like some early experiments is that people took kind of like the desktop distribution of IPFS, which makes a lot of connections and does a lot of kind of crypto handshakes and so on, and just put that directly on the phone. And so doing that, yeah, yeah. it's not optimized for the phone. It's not going to work very well. Um, but you should look at the work that uh, OpenBazaar did for Haven or Audios has done for, for their, their platform. They run full nodes in, yeah. in mobile phones and they don't waste battery, right? Like they, they, um, they work uh, uh, fairly well. Uh, they, the, the applications are super smooth. You don't even notice that this is a peer-to-peer application at all. Like it's, it's really kind of amazing what they've been able to do in the last, last year. Um, and that was a bunch of important optimization and improvement work that, uh, that made it so that you can do this. Um, now, uh, in terms of like kind of media distribution, uh, yeah, we, we think that uh, using IPFS to, to distribute video and so on can be can be super super good, um, and like the, the use case is is, is uh, it matches the use case very well. Um, the yeah, we, we, there's a couple of groups that are already doing this, um, and so we we hope to see like what what uh, develops over time. Um, in terms of like uh, you know groups like Netflix and so on using it, I'm not sure. I, I think it's going to go into developer tooling first, right? So so I I don't think that that um. Yeah. Uh, Netflix is planning to experiment with that at all uh, right now. It, it's more around developer tooling and improving the flow for developers. And having successes there might translate in the future to to then adoption in, in, in applications or in the video distribution and so on. But that's kind of like a ways out. That's like, a, I think, a few years out because um, that kind of, yeah. you, know, you have to consider that something like Netflix has had, you know, 15 years of optimization um, on the delivery flow of that. And so mm-hmm. being able to kind of, you know, and they already yeah. have like a whole, so, you know, massive fleet of, of machines all around the world that, that do this content delivery. And so competing with that is, is, is um, uh, pretty difficult. What, where IPFS could really shine yeah. is for new groups that don't have that, uh, that kind of systems built out. And that's where, say, the, the, the kind of um, in, in infrastructure provided by cryptocurrency can really help, right? Because if you, if you write your application with, with, with IPFS and you distribute things on, uh, with IPFS, say, say like a video, video application or, or whatever, mm. and then there's a bunch of Falcon miners near you, then they can store the content and, and serve it to you really quickly. And so that's the kind of world that we're going after and, and that we're building out, but it'll take yeah. a while to get there. Um. Cool. So, uh, IPFS has a grand vision to replace the HTTP protocol, or you can say like at least go hand to hand. How far does the Opera integration of IPFS like takes that uh, vision forward? Yeah, so that's been you know a really really amazing um, result that uh, you know it, we've seen this like this amazing adoption with with uh, with browsers, and so this is um, uh, it, latest latest Opera and and before that uh, uh, Brave and and. Um, there was also an extension for for Chrome and Firefox. So the the really really amazing amazing results with um, getting this integration with Opera. So the what that enables is you know around like 200 million users or more are now able to to um, to access IPFS directly from their browsers natively without having to install anything else. And like that is an amazing amazing improvement. Um, and that, that doesn't mean that 200 million people are using IPFS yeah. that way. It just means that their browser is enabled and that if they find links on the web that point to IPFS content, they can now view it. Um, mm. And so that's, uh, that, that's like a, an amazing, amazing leverage point for, for them going to, to, to larger and larger, uh, more mainstream browsers. Um, so that's, that's where uh, you know, we're super, super stoked about the, the really great work that, um, uh, the, the, that Opera did there. And, and kind of like the next step from there is um, thinking about integration into 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 a whole bunch of other browsers, ideally by running running a full node directly directly with a browser. Um, that'll that'll take longer. It'll take be, be more work. But but what's really amazing to me is just how how we got to this this place, mm-hmm. just within um, you know kind of so quickly. Like building protocols that that um, that uh, are able to distribute uh, yeah. the web content is extremely difficult. You know, there's the 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 um, the history of protocol development is is it includes a whole bunch of systems that try to do this, Dark things like SCTP and others that uh, that 
really try to improve the distribution of, of content, and weren't able to get uh, get a kind of adoption like this. So it's, it's amazing that so quickly uh, we got um, major browsers like like Brave and Opera uh, adopting uh, adopting IPFS and enabling uh, the the content for all of all of their users. Um, that that you know in my in my point of view, like that would have taken something like 10, 15 years, um, and it happened around you know in in five from around five years after like the inception of the yeah. project, which is super fast in, in kind of browser development timelines. Um, and so we, we hope that uh, that this is gonna just pick up steam and that a lot of other a lot of other groups are gonna start adopting and, and it's gonna get into into a whole bunch of other browsers. So really great work from from Opera and, and, and Brave and others to to help bring bring IPFS as a you know proper first class uh, citizen of the of the web. Cool. Uh, what goes you uh, you can proceed with that. Perfect. So I guess like we are nearing the one hour mark and we'd like to like uh, let you guys do what you guys do best. And I'd like to end with a small question as to like, what does your high level roadmap look like? Uh, for, uh, for, for, for which, which project? project for for, 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 for everything? For you. For you. <laughs> like, what do you plan to do over the next <laughs> Oh, um, so... I mean, I, I'm very, I'm personally super focused on 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 grow, the growth of IPFS and Falcoin and, and Liquidity. So so it's really like um, uh, each of these projects has its own kind of roadmap and trajectory. They they intersect somewhat, but um, but they kind of have their own their own paths. And so I'm I'm just super focused on on that growth. Um, and and for that, it, it's uh, say for IPFS, it's um, now getting into into doing all of the kind of work around application development and private content and um, and, and all of that work that we're that we're talking about, uh, and and kind of a, speeding up the the adoption also with, the, so so it, it's really kind of crossing the chasm from the Web three world out into the mainstream. So we we um we IPFS is widely used as like the number one thing in the in the in the Web three space, but we now want to um, make Web three expand to to be a, 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 as big as as Web two and, and eventually larger. And so that that is going to take a while um, while to do. And so that's that's our big. Um, our big goal is to is to how do we get the entire how, how do we make it a lot easier for developers to get started how do we make it a lot easier for um, for for large scale applications to use these tools um, how do we there's a whole bunch of important developer tooling that we have to to build to to get all of that adoption to to be possible and so that's a that's a big big focus is is uh, looking at these really amazing applications that are getting built right now and helping them grow so 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 uh, applications like audios and 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 so on. And uh, also looking at developer tools like Textile and 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 Fleek and a whole bunch of others, um, and helping them grow as well. Um, and then also thinking about the kind of uh, like ecosystem of businesses and services around IPFS, so things like pinning services and um, and so on, and, and naming systems. So there's things like ENS and unstoppable domains and others that are that are making it super easy for for people to um, add websites and point uh, point to uh, IPFS content and, and so on. Uh, it's amazing, by the way, like how, just how easy it is to get a get a crypto domain now. It's like easier than a normal domain name. It's it's super yeah. super good. Like I, I was making a website the other day, and like it was just so much easier to to get a crypto domain <laughs> and use that than than the normal DNS. And like that that was that to me is like an amazing <laughs> sign of of the times changing. Um, and so there's you know kind of my focus is it's around all of that that uh that stuff with IPFS, and then with Falcoin, it's launching the mainnet, uh, building out the capacity. Getting the first, you know, first few waves of users and adopters, learning a ton from that, um, improving the system and the protocols through that, and and kind of scaling it up uh, in the long term. Got it. Thank you very much, Juan. And like you have the best wishes from the Hackerdon family, our six million plus readers, and like people who, like pretty much enjoy and like are on this like cusp of this change because this uh, generation that would be succeeding us, there would be more adept at like using their own private keys and whatnot because i have this saying like for people in my generation you don't really understand blockchain unless you have lost a few private keys the next generation will not have those problems <laughs> so like yeah uh, we are counting on like you guys to make sure that the next generation has more fun than this one 
yeah, that UX just has to get better. Like people shouldn't be losing fees. Like that, that's 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 a product problem. That's not uh, that's not like a, a user's learning thing. It's uh, it, that just the products have to improve. Um, and yeah, I think if I, if I if I could leave the the whole community with with a couple thoughts is, um, hey, if you're if you're a hacker and thinking about building your next project and or or looking for for cool ideas, uh, drop by our our community. So like drop drop by GitHub or drop by by Matrix or Slack or or all of these different. Um, we have a bunch of different rooms in in these platforms. Uh, come and hang out and come chat with with the community and uh, um, there's a bunch of really cool ideas uh, floating around and and uh, and there's also like uh, you know depending on the on the idea and so on if it's something that the community really really wants uh, there's also some grants available there where um, where you know you can you can help uh, improve the the tech for everybody else and and if it's something that the community has put a grant on you, you can also earn money that way um, and and uh, also you know uh, uh, I want to want to a plug. Uh, we, we're doing this hackathon in July uh, called Falcon Ignite that um, uh, it's going to be uh, tuned around kind of early early users and early early entrance to to the um, uh, to to Falcon and IPFS and so on. And so we're going to have a whole bunch of learning learning material and learning learning content, uh, including tutorials and workshops and presentations and so on uh, for people to get started and learn a ton. Um, and there's going to be kind of prices at the end of the month for for. Uh, for the uh, for the winners of the hackathon and, and so on. So if you if you and, and a team of folks are are super excited about uh, Web three and, and crypto and, and so on and want to get started building, uh, come join us for for that. Awesome. So what I'll do is that I'll take all of these links from you, uh, put them in a in a hacker known post and share it with the entire like community. Awesome. Sounds great. Yeah. So I guess like uh, so I guess like I should let you guys go. Thank you for taking the time out for us and thank you for being on Hacker Noon. Thank you, Yuan. Thank you, Bebo. Have a nice Take day, care. guys. Take care.